want to say that we appreciate everybody being with us this evening. We're glad you've come to worship God with us. Hopefully we'll have something to say that you'll be able to use as you go along life's way. We had a very good day today. I went to Harbor Freight and bought some tools and things we didn't need, but you can always use them, you know. Then I went to another store and I bought this brand new Bible and super giant print. And one of the guys said it takes two pages to read Jesus wept, you know. So I guess if we get any bigger, somebody's just going to have to carry it up here for me. But hopefully we'll be able to see some things and notice some things from God's word that might help us. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7, I want to share some thoughts that I have about this verse with you. The Bible says, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. You know, I think a lot of times we take for granted some of the stories that we read in the Old Testament, that we think that they were intended for children. And I know that my grandkids have this book, and you open it up, and all this stuff pops out, and it's a Noah the Ark book, and it's got these little pop-up figures and things, and folding it back up is like folding a road map. You can open them, but you really can't ever close them right, you know. I remember going through New Mexico and uh, up in Farmington, and we went to a second-hand shop, and there was this big toy box that was like Noah's Ark, supposedly, I guess, artist's conception of it. At any rate, and I wound up buying that toy box for the grandkids to put their toys in when they come over to the house. And we normally think of these things as being things for the children. But they were not written for children or for children alone. There are things about Noah and his ark that's very important for you and I as adults to understand what God would have us to do and how God would have us to be. So I want to take a look at this verse a little bit. And I want to see if there's some things we as adults and as Christians can get out of this. The Bible says, by faith, Noah being warned of God. By faith. You know, nobody ever did anything in the world or in the Bible that was pleasing to God unless they did it by faith. Only thing that God has ever accepted is what was done by faith. I remind you of Romans 10 and 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our faith comes from hearing God's word. Our faith comes from God God has told us to do. And nobody was ever pleasing to God unless he first told them what he wanted them to do. Now there are a lot of people in this old world that they like to go on feelings. You know, feelings are a terrible guide sometimes. You know, there are days we're down and depressed. There are days we're up and happy. I would imagine if you put my feelings from day to day on a graph, it'd look like the stock market. It's up and down. You know, whether I feel good or whether I feel bad has nothing to do with my relationship with God. My relationship with God is based on, by faith, what God has told me to do. People are always wanting to feel close to God. And that's good. But you can't be close to God if you're not doing what He told you to do. Unless you're living by faith, which is not your feelings or your conscience... But unless you're living according to God's word, you cannot feel close to God. I run into a fellow that told me, he said, I always feel the closest to God when I'm in the mountains. I guess he liked the mountains. 
the streams. And I said, I understand that. And I know why you feel close to God. Because that is God's creation. And you're seeing the hand of God all around. But you're worshiping the creation and not the creator. We need to worship the God that made those mountains. That made these plains. That made that ocean. Sure, you feel God's work around you. But what about the creator? And he left us instructions about what he wants us to do. Are you living by faith? Can you read it out of the book? Do you even know where it's at? How can I live by faith knowing that faith comes by hearing the word of God if I don't know what God's word says? And I understand we'll never know it all. I understand that. Years ago, I, when I obeyed the gospel, been going to church a little while, I went to my father-in-law and I said, I got a problem. And he said, okay, what is it? I said, you don't let women teach. He goes, you want women preachers? I said, no, not particularly. I know the verse, you know. I said, but I got a problem. He said, what's the problem? I said, the Bible says if the wife will learn anything, let her ask her husband at home. And he goes, I said, now how am I going to teach Beverly when she knows more about it than I do? He goes, if I was you, I'd go to study it. <laughs> and you know, that's where we need to be, fellas. Can we answer questions? Can we know what we believe? Do we know why we believe what we do? Can we explain it to the little ones? And I know they can ask tough questions. I guarantee you they can ask tough questions. But you can't live by faith unless you live by the Word of God. And you can't live by the Word of God unless you know what it says. Now, there are a lot of people going by what they feel. A while back, we bought some land at home, planning on building a new church building. And we bought it from a fella, and I've known him a long time. He's known all of us, of course, a little town like that. Everybody knows everybody. And he said, I want to sell you this 10 acres. And I said, okay, yeah, we'll buy 10 acres from you. I said, you, is that 10 acres? He goes, he goes yeah, I'm, that's 10 acres out there. And you know, in his heart, he really believed he had 10 acres. Now, my brother-in-law, Tom, Ricky's dad, being the practical one, said, I think we need a survey. Well, the man said he got 10 acres. He had 9.3. But he really felt in his heart that it was 10 acres. You know what we paid for? 9.3. That's why we had a survey. Everything you do in life, you have a measure. You have a standard. You have a weight. You have some way to gauge accuracy. Until we come to religion, we throw it out the door and just whatever we feel is going to be okay. Really? Do you really think it works that way? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. When God tells you what to do and you follow it, you're living by faith and not your feelings. Feelings can be kind of trained. I gotta, you know, sometimes things we say don't translate well in India and Nigeria. i just give you that one. Years ago, I was preaching down at one of the congregations in Houston and had the privilege of having Brother Simeon from Nigeria, an African one of the preachers came to hear me preach. And I got to talking about, what about the cannibal in Africa? <laughs> it 
Well, I got Simeon's attention. <laughs> and anytime somebody leads the song anywhere with Jesus, Simeon came up and pointed that song out. It goes, anywhere with Jesus, I am not afraid. And brother, we don't have cannibals in Africa. <laughs> but you know, I really thought that that's what it was over there, you know. But it wasn't nothing like I thought it was. Even though I may have felt that way. One time, Juan Donna Madison from India came over. I'll give you another one of these little things didn't translate well. And he goes, Brother Marlin, what does the American church need to do? What is the problem? And I said, the problem is we got too many Indians and, not, and too many chiefs and not enough Indians. And he got real quiet. <laughs> you know, sometimes these things just don't. But you understand, I have, I have things that I believe about their country and about the way their life is and all that. You know, a lot of times when you go over there, it's nothing like you thought it was. I go to the Northeast a lot. People see Philadelphia. They see Boston. They see New York City. It's a wilderness up there. It's mountains and trees. Ricky will tell you, there are bears there. <laughs> it's nothing like we picture it. Don't go by your feelings with God. Go by what you read. God has sent you a message of what he wants you to do. How he wants you to be saved. How he wants you to worship him. Don't go on what you think is okay. Go by faith. By what God said to do. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. This guy's building this boat, which I have been told by some of the guys down in the Houston area, is the size of a regular size oil tanker. Now, these people never seen rain. You know, I digress here. <laughs> Wonder how big they thought the trailer was going to be for that thing. <laughs> How's he going to get that to water? Because they had never seen a flood. Do you understand that? The Bible says the ground was watered by the dew. The heavens had not opened up and rained. And here's this guy out here building a ship. Nobody had ever seen anything like that. And they thought he was a nut. Now folks, let's be honest about it. With ourselves. Do you really think you'd have picked up a hammer and went to working with him? Now, I'm not picking on Amarilla, but y'all have got some weird stuff going on out here. Did you know you can go out in the cow pasture out here and there's a pair of legs? Well, you know, I'm not particularly thinking I want to get involved. Every now and then you go by somebody's house and there's some sign, some dude stuck in the ground with some kind of saying on it. It's weird stuff going on. And I'm thinking, that's awfully odd. <laughs> what would I have thought about a guy building a boat and I'd never seen rain? Do you really think I'd have been wanting to jump on board with him? Really? We would have thought he had lost his mind. And that's what they thought back then. Because nobody had ever seen it. But because they hadn't seen it didn't mean it wasn't going to happen. When did faith hit them? When did they realize that what the preacher had been preaching about the flood to come was true? Because you know at some point they started to believe. Was the water ankle deep, knee deep? Did they feel a sprinkle? And they thought, oh my goodness. Maybe that nut job was right after all. 
because nobody had ever seen it. There was a movie a while back called 2012 or something like that. You know, I forget what it was. It was about the destruction of the earth. And they built these big arcs so they could save mankind and all that kind of stuff. And you may have seen the movie. I don't know. But there was one line in the movie that I thought was just a scream. Bev didn't appreciate the humor in as much as I did. But it had all these scientists standing around. And it showed a guy walking around with a cardboard sign saying, Repent, the end is near. And one of them goes, I hate it when the guys with the cardboard signs are right. <laughs> I just find that so, so amusing, you know. All these PhDs, and here's a guy with a cardboard sign that had it right all along. Probably wrote it with a crayon. Nobody has ever seen the world destroyed by fire. But you've been warned. Nobody's ever seen the judgment. You know, I can stand up here and give you a sermon on what happens to you when you die, but I can't do it firsthand. I can tell you what I think the Bible says about it. I can tell you my vision of the judgment, but I've never seen it. I can read 2 Peter chapter 3 and tell you about the destruction of the earth and the universe, but I've never seen nothing like that. But you've been warned. The Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And you can do with that what you want. Most of the world's going to blow it off and ignore it. But they were warned. You know, I think of Brother Merle Fielder. Craig and I worked with Merle a lot, and we can tell you sometimes he'd knock as many as 2,000 doors during a meeting. On Judgment Day, I imagine there's going to be somebody look at the Lord and say, Lord, I never had a chance to hear. And the Lord's going to have to tell him, remember that little fat guy I sent to your door? He wasn't the Avon lady. You've been warned. And you didn't take advantage of it. You didn't listen to him. You slammed the door in his face. You blew him off. We've been warned. It's coming. Are you ready? Have you made preparation for the things we have not seen, just like they did in the days of Noah? At what point are people going to believe? When they draw the last breath? When the clouds roll back, the trump sounds, the Lord descends? At what point? I don't know when everybody's going to finally come to the conclusion that this was right after all. But I know you've been warned. Don't risk your soul on it. Don't bet against God. Because as sure as that flood came and destroyed the world back then, the judgment is coming and the destruction is coming. And one day God's going to say that's enough. And the Lord's going to descend. I hope you're in the ark when that happens. You've been warned. Don't blow it off. Don't walk away. He moved with fear, prepared his ark to the saving of his house. I've gone through that a little bit with you this week. We need to be afraid of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle wrote, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul was afraid of him. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you're not prepared to meet your God, you ought to be afraid. I got a 
call one time. I'd visited with a family down in the Houston area. And the fellow had been out of duty for years and years, and he came back, as we call it, out of duty. About six months after he came back or so, maybe a year, I got a call, and he was being shipped to MD Anderson. They only gave him a few months to live. And he said, Marlon, I've told the ambulance to stop at the church building. I want you to baptize me. I want to be ready. And I did. And within a few weeks, he was gone. Cutting it a little close, don't you think? Are you going to wait till that time and hope to get in the last minute? They used to tell me about a fellow in Arkansas that everybody really liked. They did a Bible study with him, and he said, I'm going to obey the gospel. I'm going to be saved. I'm going to come down the mountain and let you guys baptize me in the spring. Well, he came down the mountain before spring. But he waited too long. Are you afraid of God? Are you afraid to meet your maker not prepared and not ready? You ought to be. God is something to be afraid of. And if we have not been washed in the blood and prepared to meet him, it is going to be a very sad day indeed. You ever wonder what the second coming is going to be like? You ever thought about it? I watched a show one time where they were doing a welcome Jesus back celebration at this church. And they had all the party going on and and they did what they called a rapture drill where they jump up and go, Woo! Do you know what it's going to be like? I bet it's not going to be a party. I have a sense of what it's going to be like. In the book of Revelation, John, the apostle, saw Jesus in the glorified form. Now John had lived with the Lord for three years. He walked with him. He talked with him. He touched him. He handled him. He said the word of life whom we have seen and our hands have handled. When John saw Jesus in the glorified form, one of his best friends, you know what John did? The Bible said, I fell at his feet as a dead man. He fainted dead in his tracks. It was an awesome thing to be in the presence of God. Are you ready? Do you fear him? We need to be afraid. Being warned of things not seen as yet prepared an ark to the saving of his house. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, the sixth chapter where the story of Noah and the ark is, that when God looked down, saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. His thoughts were only evil continually. He said, my spirit will not always strive with man, but his days will be 120 years. That's where we get the idea that it took about 100 years to build the ark. Somewhere around 100 years. What was Noah doing in that 100 years? Did you ever wonder? Well, I man, he'd labor night and day. That's a big boat. Well, yeah, but you know, he did something else. According to 2 Peter chapter 2, the Bible talks about God saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. He was preaching to the people around him. He was trying to warn them and tell them 
Get on board. The flood is coming. Destruction is coming. The judgment of God is upon you. And they thought he was a nut. Now, Craig, I've had some slow years. (laughs) But I've never gone a hundred years and not made a convert. (laughs) Do you ever think of who obeyed Noah and listened to his voice? I got to thinking about that. So I went back and I got Genesis chapter 5 out. The begats. And I found out that Noah was not an only child. He didn't get a brother or sister. He didn't get a niece. He didn't get a nephew. He didn't get a one of them. He got his own family and that was it. But he warned them. You know who his grandfather was? His grandfather was Methuselah. Now, Methuselah had a claim to fame that would have been interesting. If you do the timeline, Methuselah could have met Adam. He could have known the very first man God ever created. Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. Now you can go down to some of the Christian bookstores or you can go online and you can Google a timeline of the Bible. You know what year Methuselah died? Year of the flood. Now I always wondered, <laughs> did he die before it started raining or could he not tread water? <laughs> That'd be a pretty good job for a guy 969 years old. Wonder what he thought of old Noah. You reckon old Methuselah goes, you know, you get a kid up three, four hundred years old, he thinks he knows everything. <laughs> he might have thought that. But I know Methuselah was not on the ship, he was not on the boat. He didn't get a single convert. Now, here's what I'm thinking about. We judge everything with a score. We keep outcome. We keep results. Football games have scores. Baseball games have scores. I'll tell you how bad we are. We was talking about it at supper. I watched this show about these guys that go out and buy storage buildings. You know, abandoned storage units. You abandon it. They auction it off and they buy it. At the end of the show, you know what they do? They have a list of who made the most money. They have winners and losers. (laughs) Because we're results-oriented. We look at the results. You know, we try to carry that over into the gospel sometimes, and that's wrong. Sometimes we go out and we try to preach the gospel, and people don't respond, and we get discouraged. You know why? We're result-oriented. And we're looking at it the wrong way. Sure, we want people to obey the gospel. We want people to be saved. But you know, Paul said, I have planted, Apollos watered. God gave the increase so that he that soweth, he that watereth is nothing but God. You see, we ought to keep score on how many people we tell the story to, not how many obey the gospel. That's between them and God. We need to keep up with how many times I had the opportunity to tell somebody about the Savior, whether they obey or not. Would you consider Noah a successful preacher or a failure? Many of my brethren, being result-oriented, would consider him a total failure. He got mama and the kids, and that's it. I'd be real careful calling Noah a failure. He's in Hebrews 11, the roll call of the faithful. No, Noah did his job. 
And when you go out, brethren, and you try to tell somebody about the Lord, how to worship God and be saved, whether they obey the gospel or not, or they do the right thing or not, you are not a failure. You are a success. You have sown and you have watered. And we'll let God worry about the results in the end. Years ago, I got this little book down. And it was a blank book. There wasn't anything in it. And every time i do a Bible study, I'd write it down, who obeyed the gospel and all that. And then I got to reading in the Old Testament one time about Moses. Moses went out to the rock, and God had told him to speak to the rock, and I'll give him water. Moses said this, ye rebels, must we fetch you water? And he struck the rock, and water came out. God said, come here, we got to talk. You didn't bring that water out of that rock, Moses. You didn't fetch them water. And then God said this to him. Because you did not glorify me in the eyes of the people, you will not enter into the promised land. He took him up on the mountain and let him see it, but he didn't lead the people in. Joshua let him in. You know what I did with that little scorebook? I threw it in a barrel and burned it. That's why sometimes people come up and hug you and say, oh, you baptized me, and I don't really recall it. Because we're going to let God keep score. We're going to tell the story. We're going to tell the story. We're going to take advantage of those opportunities that we have to teach people the gospel, and some will obey and some won't, but God will keep the score. Because he that soweth and he, he that planteth and he that watereth is nothing, but it's God that gives the increase. So Noah didn't get anybody on board with him except his own, which I got to thinking about. In the bottom in the last verse of Genesis 6, 22, of all that God commanded Noah, so did he. Reckon why he was so picky to dot the I. You know, sometimes we get accused of that. I'm going to tell you something. It's never legalistic, folks, to obey God. Now, you may be accused of legalism because you're trying to follow God as closely as you can, but it's never legalism to follow God. And I always wondered, wonder why Noah was so careful to be exact with everything that he did. I did a study with a kid one time, and I asked that question, and the little boy piped up and goes, he didn't know how to build a boat. <laughs> and I'm going, okay, you got me. I got nothing. I got no comeback to that one, kid. You got me. We'll move on to the next point. Who was on that boat with him? And this is why you are going to dot the I's and cross the T's and search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of Jesus. His wife and his children were on that boat with him. The most important people in the world to him. Now, I'm one of those poor misguided souls that tends to learn everything the hard way. And I was one of those misguided souls that thought once you got a kid grown and out on his own, you didn't have to worry about him anymore. you done your job. A lot of you, I can see your face going, oh, man, you poor soul. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they brought these little faces. And I realized, Granddad, your job ain't done yet. The race is not run because they hit 20 or whatever and moved out. There's people still following, little ones. 
When I go to church, there's three generations of my family sitting there. Now, I want you to know that when I started going to church, they never crossed my mind. (laughs) I had no idea that something like this was going to happen. I got to doing the math. We're going to have to get a bigger table. When they all come home, there's 16 of us. And counting. (laughs) What if we make a mistake? What if we did it wrong? They're going to follow. Where's it going to lead them? In Genesis, there's the story of Joseph, how his brothers sold him into slavery. And then years later, when Joseph was in his 40s, they showed up to buy food from him. And it should have been a giveaway, in my opinion, but I didn't, I digress. Because Joseph looks at his brothers who didn't recognize him and goes, Don't you got another brother? (laughs) At some point, you got to go, How does he know that? But they said, Yeah, he's at home with dad, the baby, Benjamin. Joseph said, You go get him. So they went and got him. Jacob, he didn't want to let him go. I lost, I lost Joseph. I got this one. I don't, I don't want to lose him, boys. Reuben said, Dad, trust me with him. I'll take care of him. Jacob said, okay, take him. They took him down there, and the Bible tells us that Joseph performed one of the first practical jokes of the Bible. <laughs> he took something out of, the, out of the palace and put it in Benjamin's knapsack. And as they were leaving, he had the guards stop him. Isn't this a scream? <laughs> and they said, somebody stole something. We're going to look through your stuff. Go ahead. And in, in Benjamin's knapsack, they found it. And the guard said, you guys can go. He's going to jail. Reuben's heart had to jump into his throat. They took him back before Joseph. And Joseph was running him through the ringer. You know what finally got Joseph to reveal who he was? The oldest brother was Reuben. And Reuben said, how shall I go to my father? And the lad be not with me. And Joseph broke down crying, told him who he was. Dad, how can you go to the father and the little ones be not with you? Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How do we go to the father and explain it? They're not with us. That's why Noah dotted the I's and crossed the T's. By the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. The great example. I want to ask you something. If we went down to the harbor to go on a cruise, and there was that wooden ark, and there was the Titanic, which one would you get on? Now, I know we know the story. So without knowing it, you know which one? The accommodations in third class on the Titanic have got to be better than first class on the ark. (laughs) Besides, they got all them animals and all that kind of junk going on for them. I promise you, knowing myself, I'd have got on the Titanic. Besides, let's be honest about it. The Titanic was built by experts and the ark by a bunch of amateurs in the backyard. And you know what I would have done? 
I would have made a horrible decision. A while back, we went to an exhibit down in Fort Worth. And it was the Titanic exhibit. And they had artifacts and all that. It's kind of morbid when you think about it. But as we went through the door, they gave us a card with a name on it. And when you got through the exhibit, they told you whether you lived or died. You see, in my previous life on the Titanic, I was a perfume salesman. That's perfect. I can do, I can do that. And I lived. <laughs> I was one of the fortunate ones that lived. You always got to save the guy with the perfume, right? So, I mean, yeah. But a lot of them didn't, did they? You know what they did with the ark? They put, built a replica of it at one of the universities, and they put it in a wave pool. And through their calculation, they did it two or three times because they weren't sure. From their calculations, the design of the ark, it would have withstood, without capsizing, a 200-foot tidal wave. God knows what he's doing. Now, Noah was a rank amateur, but God knew. Now, I got a question for you. Tonight, are you on the ark in the hands of God? Are you on the Titanic and you're in trouble? If we can help you, come as we stand and sing.